In a time where parents have the weight of a thousand decisions on their shoulders and every step is like walking in quicksand, adventure's probably not in your focus. However, research shows families who adventure are more resilient and have significantly healthier minds and bodies. The purpose of this podcast is to help families connect through simple and authentic adventure experiences. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa, your online community designed to help you connect, reach your summit, and create meaningful adventure experiences with your family. Hello, and welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. I'm your host, Heidi Dusick. Today's episode is a little different than a typical interview. Our guest today is a member of the Family Travel Hackers membership, where we help families travel more for less. And the Family Travel Hackers membership is a way to support families who want to explore travel rewards but are overwhelmed. As one of my guests described travel rewards, the learning curve is steep, but once you get that free trip, it's addicting. You're hooked, right? The Family Travel Hackers membership also dives deeper into how to travel authentically and create authentic travel experiences. And while I don't think you have to travel in order to experience the benefits of adventure, it is a huge value in many families to travel. And so I wanted to support and create the space to support that desire. This episode offers insight into what the membership is like, how we source and curate topics, and guests to support what members' needs are. In this session, I wanted to elevate a member of the group to share her planning and travel rewards strategy. What makes this episode extra special to me is that Rachel is a longtime listener of Ordinary Sherpa and really one of the biggest supporters of the show. From the time I launched this podcast, she has been there rooting me on, cheering for me, participating in different things. So it felt very authentic to also elevate her and share her experience. I mean, she's also has significant amount of experience in both travel hacking as a family, but also in just like how they go about planning family travel. So her strategy around planning multi-year strategies with travel is really fascinating. From the beginning of the show, I wanted to have a platform to help feature everyday ordinary families. And while I certainly can feature experts, and I will, and I do, I also wanted it to be extremely relevant for everyday working families. And Rachel doesn't have a platform or a personal brand. She is a family traveling guru, though, with a passion for travel rewards and is always willing to help others, which is just such a prime example of the Sherpa philosophy in this community. So I invite you to join Rachel and I and other families interested in traveling more for less. As a bonus, yesterday was my 43rd birthday, and I'll talk more about that in an upcoming episode, but I have decided that for the remainder of 2023, I'm going to offer a $43 discount on the annual membership. So if you head to the link in the show notes at the checkout, use the code HAPPY43. And if you get in before next Tuesday, you can participate in Tips for Cruising with my friend Josh Overmeyer. And by the way, these are always recorded, so you can get in and listen to these recordings at any time. But it's also fun to participate in the live sessions. We'll have topics. We recently had a topic on rewarding experiences. So how do you use travel rewards to support experiences? But we also have upcoming sessions that'll deep dive into some of the travel tech, working while traveling, and hacking Hawaii. The one thing I think that makes this community unique is that I'm not an affiliate for any of these credit cards. We encourage sharing and using each other's referral links so that you actually benefit by being a part of the community, sharing your links and using each other's referral links to get your nice credit card. So you're supporting others in the community as well. So join us 
Look forward to seeing you in the Family Travel Hacking membership. And without further ado, here is Rachel. Rachel has been traveling since she was 14 and never quite recovered. And despite all these contradictions of having kids and thinking you have to slow down, that was not necessarily the path that Rachel took. So she and her husband and their two boys travel as much as possible. And some of their favorite redemptions have been trips to England, Portugal, and Spain. And this year, they travel soon to Whitefish to go skiing in Montana, to Curacao, and to Hawaii. So I just wanted to give you guys some different perspective on how people approach travel hacking and approach travel planning with a family. So Rachel West, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, happy to be here with y'all. So my two boys are seven and nine, just for context. And travel is one of our top family values. It's something we enjoy tremendously. It allows us to have new experiences and new adventures together. And we we can learn new skills and new languages when we need to. And we also view it as a form of education for, for all of us. So we invest in it. In order to travel, we use a mix of cash and points. So earning points and miles lets us go on more trips than we would otherwise be able to afford. And so we got started with this in 2009. Um, we made our first redemption in 2010 with a trip to New York City. And since then, we've taken a lot more trips thanks to points and miles. So we do a mix of domestic and international travel with the goal of doing at least one international trip per year. For international travel, our goal is at minimum to get some, but preferably all of our flights to that country for free. We focus primarily on flights for our redemptions when we're thinking about a destination, because generally those are the most expensive parts of a trip. And we also found that once you get there, there are a lot of options for where to stay and how to get around within the country. So you can often adjust that if you need to, to stay in your budget. And so Heidi has already covered a lot of the basics of travel hacking, you know, the flexible points cards and the sign up bonuses. So I'm not going to, I'm going to be building on what she's already covered. I'm really going to be focusing on international travel and share how we get organized and how to figure out what points you need and then make a plan for accumulating the points and then spending your points. So as you'll see that we are planners and I'm going to share how we approach international trips with our system. You do not have to be as detailed as this if you don't want to. And I'm going to share tips that are useful for the planners and the more spontaneous travelers among us. We are also spontaneous. We Not all of our trips are planned, but the big things are the ones that are going to take a lot of points. So to organize all of that, we use what we call our five-year travel plan. And this is really our travel wish list. The list of places that we want to go is very, very long. So this started as a way for my husband and I to compare notes and prioritize where we wanted to go. And really those places that we each individually dreamed of going, we could kind of combine them and figure out what order to go in. And then the actual more detailed five-year plan came about when we had kids. So In the plan, we loosely, and I emphasize loosely, plot out where we want to go each year over the next five years. And this became even more important to do when the school schedule restricted our travel to certain dates. In the five-year plan, I have it divided by year, and I always list my kids' ages so I don't have to think about it. They're just right there. And then within each year, each school break, so spring break or fall break or whatever you have, is listed since it's an opportunity for a trip. And you could certainly do this if you're not restricted to a school schedule, um, if you just like to go in September or February or whenever. And then each listing or school break usually includes multiple options for where we might want to go. 
So for example, this spring break, we knew based on our other travel plans for the year that we wanted to go somewhere in the Caribbean since it's a shorter flight and there's minimal differences in time zones. We had written Curacao and Puerto Rico and Grand Cayman and that was what we came out with in order of our preference. So I'll explain how we figured out where to go in a moment. But in the plan, we only plot out the big trips that involve the flights or longer distance driving, not smaller, more spontaneous weekend trips. It's things where we conceivably will use points and miles for flights or Airbnbs or hotels. And one of the reasons I find the five-year plan is so helpful is that if there are particular places you're really interested in going, there may be ideal ages for children or whoever you will be traveling with that you'll want to take into consideration. And there may also be expiration dates to think about too. So our five-year plan really helps us keep track of that. We have things listed like when our kids are going to have their fourth grade national park pass or if there's a minimum age or height or weight restrictions for certain experiences. We place those trips in the appropriate slots in our five-year plans with those things in mind. So if you want to go to Antarctica or go caving in Belize or cage diving with sharks in South Africa, whatever you want to do, you can kind of plot that out. And you may find that you still, you may still want to go to those destinations, but if there's a particular experience you want to have in that place, you need to find out about any restrictions before you go. So you won't be disappointed when you spend all that time and effort and points and money getting there. And then you can't do that thing that you really wanted to do. So while our five-year plan keeps us organized and focused, it is really most importantly a place for us to dream. It's a way for us to be intentional about our travel goals. It gives us a specific goal to work towards, which is helpful, you know, in those moments when you have to make decisions about ways to save money, you can have that specific picture or an experience in your mind to keep you going and keep you motivated. And I also get a lot of joy from reading about other places and cultures and researching those places. So knowing what's on our list for the next five or so years gives me time to bookmark things or take notes for specific trips that I have in mind for the future. So on Instagram and on my laptop, I have folders for each country that we're most interested in visiting, or I might divide the folders up by trip. So like a safari, we want to go on safari, but we don't know exactly which countries we want to go go to or Southeast Asia, where we might want to go for longer and visit multiple countries. So when I see something interesting, I can save it in the folder, even if I don't have time to read it at that moment. And this just helps make planning easier when the time comes, because I already have resources and images to help get me started. And then having a five-year plan also helps when planning our points and miles strategy. When you're getting started with your own strategy, I find it really helpful to have a place in mind. Um, but if you don't have a specific place in mind, it's helpful to at least have a general idea of where you want to go. So Europe or South America or the Caribbean. And then once you determine a destination or a continent, but before you apply for any credit card, it's really good to start looking at flights, like flights to specific cities, the country or the continent, whatever information you have to see what airlines fly there. And then roughly how many points you'll need to get there. And this really helps you narrow down all of those credit cards and sign-up bonuses that you see so that you can get a plan for what you want to focus on. Here's how I do it when I'm thinking about what card to apply for next. And it's, I think it's helpful no matter where in the journey you are with travel hacking, whether you're a beginner or whether you're advanced, I always find it helps to start with flights. I use uh, Google Flights Explorer and you can search that to see costs at various times during the next year or so. But 
Another one that you can use that I like is Skyscanner. And that divides flights by best, cheapest, and fastest, which can be really interesting to look at. And then it also divides by airline alliances, which can be really helpful too. But I'm going to talk specifically about Google Flights since it's really common. So you can search by your home airport and then any other airports that are within driving distance to give you the most options. You can set when you want to travel, if you're bound to certain dates, or just put in a length of time that you think you want to go for around the time of year you want to go. So March, sometime in March, and then leave the destination open. And then you can um, see the results on the map to explore a region or a continent to see those prizes. You can see the entire region. And then if you have specific dates and a specific place, just go ahead and put all that in. And you can also use the map to see how other airports in or near your final destination compare. So if you're going to Germany, you can see Frankfurt and Berlin and Munich. You can see all of that. And so this is what we did for spring break. We had specific dates and we were most interested in going to Curacao, Puerto Rico, and Grand Cayman. But I was also basically looking at all the other islands in the Caribbean. And so the map view allowed us at a glance for the precise dates that we needed to check the prices for my home airport in Birmingham, Alabama, and then do another search out of Atlanta, which is an easy drive for us. And we could just see how they compare to each other and any kind of trends over time. And one good thing in Google flights, there's an indicator that says that these fares are low or above average or whatever that give you some guidance too. And so this will give you an idea of what airlines fly to that destination for the best price. Rachel, can I interrupt you for a second? I have a question. So Bree actually has a question related to this. How far out are you planning in terms of figuring out how many points it's going to take to get there? So her question is specifically that she read an article saying that points required for flight redemptions has increased. Have you noticed this? And then how does that affect your plan and how you use your points? I think right now it's probably higher than normal. You know, even just last year when we were booking things in 2021 for 2022, we got some amazing deals. So I think it's really just because travel has returned so fiercely in 2022. And I think they're also anticipating that for 2023, people are just getting back out there that that because of dynamic pricing, that's going to affect the points prices. So I think eventually we'll get to more normal when, you know, people are traveling at normal capacity. They're fully staffed at airlines in terms of pilots and crew. For planning purposes, I think it's helpful to kind of start getting an idea at least a year and a half, two years out from when you want to take a trip, just because it can take a while to accumulate points or to find the card that you want and accumulate the points that you need. And then it's great to have a long lead time on, you know, when you're ready to book, because, you know, airlines will put out there and it varies by airline, but they'll put out their calendars for the next nine months to a year. You can start looking then and they have limited award seats on flights. So if you can be one of the first to book, that's super helpful. But yeah, I generally, if I'm going to know I'm going to need a card to book a trip, I really like ideally like a year and a half just to get all the stuff in order and then to make sure that you can get a good flight that you like. And if I could just add the one challenge is with Southwest only puts out their calendar usually six months in advance. So you're kind of, I still think though, looking a year in advance is helpful because you still have a sense of what it's going to be. You may not have the exact redemptions or anything like that, but having enough lead time to get a sense of how many points you need is helpful. Right. Yeah. I totally agree. Another tool that I use when researching flights. So if you have a specific country or city that you know, you want to visit, I like to use flightconnections.com. 
And so I'm actually using this now for a trip that we want to take in the summer of 2024. And so flight connections can tell you what airlines fly to and from certain airports. So you can figure out transfer partners. And this is helpful when like when you're figuring out the transfer partners, but also general routing, particularly for more complicated itineraries that you may be planning. So for example, we're planning to go to Greece in 2024, summer of 2024, but we wanted to bypass the Athens airport for various reasons. So we are looking at airlines and cities within Europe that have direct flights to Santorini or Mykonos, and we're starting to figure out what points we'll need to get the flights for free. So now that's that's oh, a year and a half out that we're kind of planning now. So once you know what airlines fly we're going to go, you can search specifically on that airline's website to figure out the points prices. And then you can work backwards to identify you know, what airlines or flexible points cards are going to help you get to your goal. It might be a flexible points car, like say it's Chase Sapphire Preferred that has a lot of transfer partners, or it could be a Delta Airlines card or American or United, where you can earn a big chunk of points from the signup bonus. And so every person's strategy is going to be a little different because it depends on where you are coming from and where you want to go. But once you've identified the card and signed up and are working towards the minimum spend, keep looking at your search to the destination over the next few months. And that way, you can track the cost and points so you can stay up to date on what is a good points price. And then once you have your points, you'll be able to grab a deal when you see it. So we did this for our um, spring break trip and I tracked the prices pretty religiously. They were consistently high and weren't coming down. And I thought for sure it wasn't going to happen. And so I started kind of thinking about like plan B options. But then one day, I mean, like sort of random, I think it was a Friday. <laughs> I happened to check and the points price dropped for the flights to Curacao to where we needed it to be for what we had, like our available points. And we were able to book our flights. The trip is at the end of March and we just booked those on November 7th, which that's pretty late for us. So we booked two tickets for 92,000 American Airlines miles. And then we paid for the remaining two. And it wasn't, you know, the best redemption, but we had the points. We'd earmarked them for that trip. And now we get to go somewhere that was on our wish list for a lot less money. And so that that's the best deal. Um, Another example was my husband was booking our flights to London last year on points and doing a search, you know, was a regular part of his routine. So he had a good baseline knowledge um, and was able to jump on it when he saw a great points price. So we actually got an amazing deal and we, we earned way more points than we ended up using because we had researched and been tracking the flight and knew what the average points price was for those flights. So when we saw the deal, we just booked it ASAP. And now we just have those extra points to use for another trip. But for reference, we got four flights from Birmingham to Heathrow for 152,000 Delta Sky Miles, which was 38,000 per person. And then we had to pay $800 in taxes. So anyone who's interested in going to London, and I believe Christy, this is on your wish list, but y'all should know about this. There is really no avoiding those high taxes. London has the highest fees in the world, I'm pretty sure, for flying into their airports. So there's certain things that you can do to get around that. But so those flights that we booked were $2,000 per ticket at the regular price outside of the taxes. So the total would have been $8,800. So it was that was an excellent redemption. But like if you're more than two years out, you can still search flights to the destination during, you know, the rough time frame that you want to go. If you want to go in the summer or the fall for the next year, I mean, it's ideal if you can pinpoint the month, but that way you can at least get an idea of how many points you'll need. And that's what, that's what I'm actually doing now and have been doing for probably about six months for summer of 2024. 
I mean, the flight calendars are going to be restricted generally to the next year. And certainly for Southwest, it's generally the next six months. But the prices often are roughly the same for the same time of year since high season and low season and shoulder season tend to be the same. So it's still really helpful for planning purposes. Rachel, I just wanted to mention too, I do have a little benchmarking tool to help people understand like what's a good price to wear. Cause I think that was part of my challenge too, was figuring out like when you're getting started, what's a good points redemption, right? So Mm -hmm. I started to figure out with different places, like what's the amount of money and then roughly how many points is that? So when I see a good deal, I know to grab it as opposed to like, grabbing it. And I think when I was early on, I just grabbed whatever I could because I didn't know if this was going to get better or not. So I do have a benchmarking tool that that I can share as well. Yeah. And it's gotten a lot more complicated. It used to be that there was standard pricing. It was like 40,000 to make it to South America or something. And now with dynamic pricing, it just makes it more complicated. (laughs) So you have to do a little bit more research. But yeah, I mean, if you get into this routine once a week or every other week or whatever, And you'll get a baseline of what it's going to cost. So you can make sure you not only have enough points, but what looks reasonable, what's a deal, what's overpriced. So when you actually go to book and the question of when to book, I mean, we talked a little bit about this, but we personally like to check as soon as the flight schedule opens and that, that varies by airlines. One is, um, and Heidi, I know you've talked about this before, but Scott's cheap flights. So that's now known as going. They often mention the Goldilocks window for booking, which for international trips is two to eight months out. But this is for cheap flights, paid in cash, mistake fares or one-offs that you generally have to book pretty quickly. It's not necessarily flights booked with points and miles. And airlines often have limited award seats on their flights. So you may want to book as soon as the flight schedule opens, if there's a certain route that you want to take at a certain time, so that you can ensure that you get one of those award tickets. The airline certainly may open some of those up later, but it's not guaranteed. So if you're really set on going to a particular place at a particular time, then you may want to go ahead and book it just for the peace of mind, even if it's not like the optimal redemption. And if you have more flexibility in when you go or you don't care where you go or both, you can certainly find some great points prices. But, you know, like, so for a couple of examples, our trip to England and Wales, which we took that at the end of March and into April of 2022. We booked those flights in October, the beginning of October of 2021. And that was a little late for us, but it it worked in our favor, as I mentioned earlier. And I really think we lucked out on that because of where we were in terms of the pandemic with travel, you know, not as many people were traveling internationally at that point still. And, and when we got to England, many people, like they were surprised that we were tourists. Like they thought we lived there. They just hadn't seen American tourists in a while. So I think it it was just kind of timing and that can certainly happen at any time, you know, you don't know. So that's another, you know, another reason to kind of check, have a routine recheck for these dream destinations that you have in mind. Talk more about your routine. You just go to, what does that look like each week when you're saying yeah. like, yeah, you just get in a routine and you check, like, where are you checking and kind of what are you looking for? And when do you decide, do you have a system that you and your husband both say, okay, we're going with it. Or, you know, talk us a little bit through that yeah. routine for you. Ideally we'll look as soon as if we have on our five-year plan and we want to know the next thing we need to book is for September of 2023, whatever. Yeah. September, 2023. We, I would definitely be looking now for that flight because in some airlines, they might've just opened the awards redemptions. So I would be checking a lot. Like I would be checking, my husband would probably be checking and that way we would just know. And if it had just opened and the points were like, we could book it, we'd probably just go ahead and book it. Because too, with travel the way it is right now, 
and the limited, like with staffing as it is and more people wanting to travel and just sometimes not enough room, I would book it like as soon as I could get an awards flight there just because of how things are at the moment. But when you say you're checking, sorry, when you say you're checking, are you checking on the credit card rewards? Are you checking Google flights? Where exactly are you checking that airline specifically, right? Yes. Normally. Okay. So if I've done my research and I know, say I'm going to London and I mean, I wish I was going to London in September, but say I'm going to London and I knew that generally the best rewards for that for me personally from my airports is probably going to be delta and if i have a stash of delta points just sitting there waiting or if i have if i have american airlines points just kind of whatever i have in points that i know they go to london i will check their website i will go and search birmingham to london heathrow for the dates that we want and just monitor that if i have enough points and there's an award flight i'll book it right then just given how travel is right now. So that that's just only the routine. If I've built up points through my research, I know Delta's going to have the best flights for points for where I need to go. That's the website that I'm checking. If I'm kind of more open-ended, like, oh, like the spring break trip to Curacao, I would be searching on probably generally, I had done my research. And so we knew that we needed American Airlines miles for that trip because they were flying generally everywhere we wanted to go in the Caribbean. So I was checking American Airlines at one point daily (laughs) to see what those reward redemptions. I was also checking, and this kind of messes you up with some of the differences in airlines, like with Southwest being so short, only six months out, because we also wanted to go to Grand Cayman or Puerto Rico, and those are both Southwest options. So I would also check Southwest. But I think really based on your research that you've previously done, and then what miles you actually had to work with. Does that make sense? Does that answer it? Yeah, I think so. So the research you talked about earlier, you know, with um, the Google flights is kind of where you start to figure it out. The Skyscanner might be helpful as well. And then Flight Connections kind of helps you do that initial research of what are the flight options to that place to figure out what airline you're going to travel, right? Right. And then what points to earn. If you have like Chase Ultimate Rewards points that you can transfer, you might be searching a lot of different places. Yeah, but it's based on that kind of initial research that you did in order to earn the miles that you have now sitting there in order to book. So you're kind of several steps in, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to go through your workflow a little bit yeah. to get, a, get inside your brain a little bit yes. so people understand. Yeah. Like it's a couple. Once you have your five-year plan, you now have a, a little bit more of a flow. Yeah, and that's why I like to start early because, I mean, if some of these airlines will release them a year out or 10 months out. And like, if you don't have your stash of points in there, you might miss out. And I don't want to miss out on an amazing trip just because I didn't plan for it. So, but again, you can get the great redemptions later on too. So anyway, and then another example of a redemption that we did. So in June of 2022, we did a trip to Portugal and the Azores using points. And we booked those flights at the beginning of September of 2021. So that was almost as soon as the flight calendar opened up because we wanted there was a um, direct flight from the U.S. to Lisbon that we'd seen, and we knew that the airlines only had so many award seats available on that flight when they first released the flight information. You don't know how many award seats they have allocated for each flight, so there's no way, there's really no way to find out. We wanted to be like the early birds that got the worm, and so for that one, we spent two hundred thousand American Airlines miles, and then for that one, we only had to pay two hundred fifty-eight dollars in taxes and fees. So. We did check on that flight on and off um, after we'd booked and the points price never went below what we paid. So we were, we were pretty happy. We'd gone ahead and booked, 
you know, for the, the deal, but also like peace of mind again, which to me can sometimes be priceless. As an aside, that's also true domestically, as we mentioned with Southwest. So for example, this summer, we're going to Hawaii on points and some of the direct flights that we booked as soon as the calendar opened up are no longer even available for any amount of points right now. So that's something to consider too. You know, there are deals to be had anytime, but if you're working with a restricted time in which to travel, planning ahead and booking early will really help to ensure that you get where you want to go. And then of course, the more points you save when booking, the more trips you can take, obviously, but also I really wouldn't stress too much over redemption values. I don't even calculate that like some people do. I mean, spending those points will be the difference in taking the trip or not. Like that's always the best redemption, just taking the trip. But another tip on timing, if you notice that during a specific time, you're looking at going to that destination, that the price or the points are consistently high or higher than you want to pay, even when they are like, you know, quote average, try searching another window of time. That's also in one of your slots in your five-year plan, just to see how that affects the price. You know, like if you were going, if you were thinking you wanted to go on a particular trip, in March for spring break, you know, try searching that destination at the start of summer when that the summer break starts and just see how they compare. Because depending on what you find, that may change when you decide to travel there, you know, going in, in the summer instead of spring break, if you can go for fewer points or less money. This is certainly something that I learned recently or reinforced it too, because we know in the next few years, we really want to go to Iceland. We were initially thinking we wanted to go in the summer since longer days and nicer weather, but it's also the height of tourist season and when it's the most expensive. So after doing some research, we're thinking now we may go during spring break. It's going to be colder and darker, but a plus to that is that we could potentially see the Northern Lights, which has been on our wish list for a long time. And it would also be significantly less expensive to go at that time. And another thing I've learned about redeeming points for flights is that being creative can really, really pay off sometimes. You know, like you may decide that you want to go to Rome, but you happen to see a great deal on a flight from your home airport to Frankfurt. And the thing about Europe and, and certainly other parts of the world is that once you get there, you can take a short, cheaper flight or a train to get to your final destination. And that's flight connections can can help you there that can identify those airlines. You know, the Ryanairs, which is like the budget European airline or some of those more in-country airlines that we're just not as familiar with here in the U.S. because they don't service the U.S. And you can also sometimes see if they're part of an alliance and you can look up, you know, how they're, they're transfer partners. And you'll save money. You can possibly see another part of the world because of it, like that you weren't anticipating. There's also, you can do stopovers. You can schedule a longer layover so you can go out and explore. And Iceland Air has a particularly good stopover program for Iceland, but there are other major airlines that do it too. You know, and I've talked mainly about flights, but you can, of course, expand this if you have, if there's a certain resort or a hotel specifically that you want to stay in, it's just going to add another level to your strategy. But, you know, IHG or Hyatt or Marriott cards or there's a ton of options, but, you know, just depending on what your goals are. And for things like Airbnbs or, you know, potentially other vacation rentals, you can certainly look into an eraser card like the Capital One Venture Cards. You can kind of just start with flights and then build on that, build it out from there. Yeah. Rachel, I want to ask, um, Aaron has a question. Can you describe an award seat? So you're talking with airlines. You had mentioned they, there's only so many award seats available. So what is right. the difference between an award seat and a regular seat? There's really nothing. It's the same seat. But when you go to search on these airlines websites, you know, that you want to search by award flights, 
And then instead of the prices popping up for the different options, you'll see a points price. And those are just the same. They're generally economy. I mean, there's probably some business class ones too, but we are not business class people at this point in our lives. So it's mainly the economy ones that we're looking at, but it'll look literally just like if you had searched like the price, it'll just say this is 50,000 American Airlines miles or whatever the amount is. And that way you can see what it's going to cost you. But the, the the seats are no different. It's really just how many that they allot per flight. I've read from several places that it could be, you know, maybe there's only four awards seats on that flight or that particular flight that you want. So it's like, if you're a family of four or even five or, you know, you got to get on it. So that's kind of, I, when I read that, I was like, oh, you know, that's kind of what encouraged me to start looking literally as soon as the calendar opened, just to make sure that we were literally the first people who got those flights. I just want to piggyback on that comment. You know, it's it's easy. I like how you suggested that if you are restricted on when you can travel. So again, I was married to a teacher. Our spring breaks were determined for us. Most of our vacations were determined for us. But I would find the windows when it was low season there if possible. And usually for us, early June was a really good travel season in a lot of places because, for example, Canada was still in session until almost late June with school. So traveling to Banff and and Jasper was very inexpensive in Calgary and all those places. They were like, why are your kids out of school? And I was like, well, we're from America. Like, we're done. (laughs) So it was kind of funny. But I think there's ways to, to be even on the like very edge of their season and still optimize for down season. It still work for us. So there is ways to figure that out. And like you said, you know, traveling when it's a little colder, we saw a ton more wildlife in June than we would have seen in July because it was a late spring and the, the black bears were out, you know, like, so I think there's benefits that sometimes we don't see. We only see like the marketing travel calendars of when the best place is to go at what time. There's really no wrong answer. I've had good travel experiences off season a lot of times, even when they say like the weather's supposed to be bad. I don't know. Like it's hard to, it's hard to predict the weather. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, we went to, and this has been a number of years, my kids were babies, but we went to Costa Rica during the quote wet season and we got a great place and we had a great experience and it rained, but it wasn't, it certainly wasn't that bad. We had plenty of great weather too. So yeah, there's, you're going to find good stuff. And like you said, you can see animals or have different experiences that would never happen in another season. So anytime you get to go to a new place, I'm like, whatever the weather's doing, I'll figure it out. I can kind of close with some other general tips that I think can help earn points or travel more. So one of the biggies for us, always consider volunteering for vouchers to go on a different flight. So this may be prompted, like when you're checking in for your flight, either online or in the app, if you have that, there might be a question that comes up, like that they know your flight is oversold. And so sometimes they'll be able to list like a dollar amount that you would take that would be the minimum that you would consider changing your flight. And if it fits their needs for what they're going to offer, they'll get in touch with you or they may just announce it at the boarding gate. So unless you absolutely 100% have to be on that flight, like always, always go talk to the gate agent and see if it would be worth it. Because just because you don't talk to them, that doesn't mean that you have to give up your seat and it can really be lucrative. Like, I don't know if y'all saw that story in the news. I think it was last year, but there was a flight to Mexico from Texas. I think it was Houston or Dallas. And they gave away $10,000 per ticket in vouchers. Like I would have probably been up there if it was $2,000, like they wouldn't have even had, I wouldn't have never even made it to 10,000, but it was because they had oversold the flight, but I guess everyone was desperate for a vacation at that point. <laughs> but um, like, for example, 
with our trip to England last year, we got a prompt when we were checking in, our flight was oversold and they were offering vouchers. And actually the new flight that they were offering was way better than our first one. Like we were going to have to get up early and have a long layover. I think we were flying through Philadelphia and they gave us a later flight, which worked out perfectly. And so we got, I think it was $1,200 in vouchers that then paid for our trip that we're about to take to Whitefish. So we got a free trip out of getting a better flight, you know, what we wanted to do. So that was a really nice win. And then of course, if you don't care where you go, Scott's cheap flight, which I already mentioned, and that's now going, that can be an amazing resource. I used to have the premium membership, but as I've mentioned, we're planners. So we just didn't get that much value out of it since we're planners and we also use points. And if you have flexibility or you don't have your travel already planned or both, it can really be amazing, but it does require paying in cash. And you can certainly use both strategies, cheap flights and points to go more places. And if you think the cheap flights method might be, you know, like the way you wanted to go, you can certainly do a contingency here that you can book it on an eraser card, like the Capital One Venture card, and then still get the flights for free. So that's kind of the best of all worlds. And then if you don't know where you want to go and just want to start collecting points, you can start with something like a flexible points card, like a Chase Sapphire card. That's always a great starting point since it has so many transfer partners or something like a points eraser card, like Capital One, since that has so much flexibility with it. And then after that, you could then look at, you know, your home airports or nearby airports that have airlines with international destinations and then look into their points and miles program. So we fly out a lot of Birmingham a lot. So that's United and American and really big. But then we also have the option to fly out of Atlanta. So Delta is also a good option for us. So there's really multiple ways to set up your strategy. I'll just kind of wrap up by saying that your points and miles strategy doesn't have to be complicated or time consuming. I'm certainly always on the lookout for new information that will help, but you don't really have to spend that much time on figuring things out. You know, it can certainly feel overwhelming in the beginning because of the learning curve and learning all the lingo and how things work. But eventually it just becomes a habit that's naturally incorporated into how you spend money or how you search things online, just when you have those five minutes to spare and also how you plan your travel. And I've certainly found that the time I've invested in learning about travel hacking over the years has allowed us to see uh, many more new places and have so many wonderful adventures that we could never dreamed about when we started it back in 2009. So I think it's definitely worth it because you can certainly do a lot with it. Well, Rachel, thank you. I think it's been, it's always fun to connect with like a fellow travel family. And like you said, it can be overwhelming. And I think that sometimes can be a barrier to entry, so to speak. And I would also echo what you stated, though, that the time we've invested in learning it has given us more options. And it's maximized our budget so we can see more places for less that I probably would not have put on our travel list, but I'm really glad they have been. Thank you, Rachel, and for the participants of the Family Travel Hackers membership for participating in this episode. I have six key takeaways from Rachel's message today. Number one, loosely plot out the years with destinations that you'd like to travel. Include the children's ages, define school breaks, and any restrictions to keep in mind to offer the best experience for that destination. Certain time periods have expiration dates. Having a multi-year strategy allows Rachel to be intentional with her family travel planning. Number two, their five-year plan is a place to dream. 
she and her husband can put their wish list down and begin the joyful process of research and exploring future destinations. She creates a folder for each trip, and when she finds something interesting, she just puts it in that folder. When she's ready to begin putting dates on the calendar, this helps her get started. Number three, using tools like Google Flights, Skyscanner, and FlightConnections.com helps her begin to map out which airlines and routes will work best and how many points and miles they will need to get their flights covered. Number four, there are limited reward seats available, especially for international flights. There's no way to know how many reward seats are available per flight. For this reason, Rachel makes it her goal to book flights using points and miles as soon as the flight calendar opens. Number five, don't worry about redemption values. Some travel rewards websites will indicate that points are worth 1.8 cents, etc. The best redemption values are the points that help you and your family fly more for less. Number six, points and mile strategies don't need to be complicated. Eventually, it becomes a habit for just how you spend money or how you find things online. Thank you so much for being a listener of the Ordinary Sherpa podcast. I don't think people realize it's so enlightening to hear from you, to know that this is helping, that this is supporting another family with their travel goals, with their adventure goals. It helps bring families together and connect. That is the purpose of the Ordinary Sherpa podcast. So thank you to Rachel. Thank you to the Family Travel Hackers membership for all the questions you bring to me. I really, truly love bringing together content to help solve your problems, to help answer your questions, and to help make things a little bit more action-oriented so you're more likely to do these simple adventures with your family. Until next week, be brave and keep going. If you found value from today's show, here are three easy ways you can support us. Subscribe to Ordinary Sherpa Podcast on the platform you're listening to. It lets the providers know that you're getting value from the show and want to be around when we release additional content. If you feel compelled, leave us a review. Two, find your friends, family, and others you think would enjoy this show and share this episode. Three, and most importantly, join the community of families interested in creating authentic experiences through simple adventures by going to OrdinarySherpa.com backslash community. We want to hear from you and create content that would benefit your family. Thanks for joining us on this journey as we help families connect through adventure.